Welcome back to Grit. This week we're talking with one of my favourite people in the digital content and TV space, creative director and founder of Spirit Studio, Matt Campion. In this episode, we talk about how to develop format ideas, grow an audience and navigate the ever-changing landscape of the content creation space. This was a fascinating discussion covering lots of areas with spirit and fun. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Okay, we're going to jump over to the UK to talk to creative director Matt Campion uh, of Spirit Studios. How are you, Matt? I'm very well, thanks, mate. How are you? And lovely. It's lovely to catch up with you. It's been a while since we we saw each other face to face. Yeah, there's been a uh, been a, a pandemic in between. I know. <laughs> I literally think <laughs> I literally think I saw you just before the pandemic, and it. But all that that's gone in a blip, isn't it? Sort of the last three years. Well, it's it's weird, isn't it? I like two years have disappeared that I can't account for. I think. Oh, Matt was out here last year. That's that's, exa- that's exactly the way I think. It's it's the fact yeah. that we sort of. Yeah. I, I almost forget that I've been working at home, even though we're doing that right now. And I suppose it's, <laughs> I suppose one of the things that has happened is that things have sped up um, our use of technology. So like these things, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have done this. No. We wouldn't have done this beforehand. But now like it's so much easier to meet people and to, and to not feel, I feel like whenever I used to be asked to do a Zoom meeting or a Skype, which was the original Zoom, the OG yeah, Zoom, yeah. Um, I used to hate doing it, and it used to, I used to be like, yeah, I don't, I don't really want to, can't we just do a call? Can we just do a conference call? Yeah. The idea of us putting ourselves and seeing ourselves was sort of really odd, but now we're so used to it that actually I think it's, in terms of, it's so much better to be able to have and com- to communicate, being able to see someone. Do, do you find yourself, particularly when you're dealing with like so many meetings in, in your kind of work, is it more efficient for you? And do you find like the meetings better rather than just being like a boozy thing or a, a lunch thing? Do you find it mm, good question. a bit more precise or is that a bad it's, thing? I'd say the answer is both. Like, as in um, yeah. when, when things went into lockdown, we as a business really took advantage of the fact that you could do way more meetings in a day that you would normally do. Because like running a business that's based in London and Brighton, you'd spend so much time traveling on a tube in between meetings that really you'd only you could only do say one commission a meeting in a day or two max yeah. you do one in the morning one in the afternoon or it would be a lunch thing um and then and then the pandemic happened and then you could just be like bouncing or you could be bouncing into meetings all day long and actually yeah, i think yeah. that that pace um that everybody sort of a frenzied pace that everybody went into really helped us with that with our business it really helped it was a game changer i think a lot of a lot of indies struggled we actually really thrived under that um, and we even doubled our turnover in the first year of lockdown wow. but you can't be a long lunch with the commissioner where you can where you can yeah. together properly talk things through this communicating in real life has a is completely different isn't it you know you can you you've got you can actually sort of you can see each other properly where there's still this this is still a barrier like you know like seeing each other on a on a video call it's still a it's still a barrier you can still hide behind you've got you hide you can hide behind the lens you don't have to give everything where in real life you can't hide and i think it's easier when you've met the person in real life it's it's actually a bit more stilted when it's the first time you've met someone as well definitely in fact i have been working on a drama for a major broadcaster here in the uk for just over a year which is likely to shoot next year so it shows you how long it takes and we've been through multiple meetings and spent months on the bible and now going to scripts and i'm only meeting my commissioner for the first time in real life next week which and yet i feel like i know her well (laughs) and that's like a really odd thing because then when you meet in real life it's to begin with, a 3D version of a 2D person is very different. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, no, and it, it, it's, an, it's a weird way to do business. Also, like, the amount of people that, honestly, the amount of people that I've met in real life who are literally two foot taller than I think they are from Zoom. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course. Well, we, we should know as, as, as video makers the, the way the camera lies, but I suppose it is weird when you meet people in life. It's the same when you meet actors. Yeah. I'm always thrown by that. Well, actors tend to be small. Yeah. It's the other yeah. way around. <laughs> so for the context of the audience, do you want to just give us a little bit of 
overview of what Spirit Studios is and what your role is within Speed and how you set it up, etc. Yeah, so we um, we started the business ten or so years ago with a, a vision to create a business that could that really understood the digital world of content and could be able to use you know all of that technology from social media to digital video to slightly different production process i suppose in a sense to our advantage to not only make our own tv originals dramas films whatever but be able to sort of market them as well and also make revenues you know um, in the digital world which would bring us income and, and pay for our own overheads whilst we sleep versus always being reliant on a commission Right. So, um, so Spirit Studios is the first thing I should say is why we exist because I think that's the most important uh, our sort of set of values. We create content with spirit. That's what we're about. We always want to make content that impacts people's lives for the better. And we're, we're I suppose what we try and do is create content with hidden purpose. Uh, and I know that sounds like um, I'm sure lots of people are sort of the word purpose gets banded around a lot these days. But if you look back at the history of spirit. We run, um, we run a mental health movement, which is about penetrating pop culture to talk about mental health rather than being sort of charity-led or clinical, um, called I Am Whole. Yeah. And I Am Whole is something we founded with Jordan Stevens, who is uh, one half of Rizzle Kicks and uh, an actor and writer. And we founded that in 2016. So, you know, whilst a lot of people these days sort of say they want to do stuff with purpose... Oh, you know, we I, I really you know we've we've been walking the talk properly for yeah. a long time rather than just saying it, uh, and we've done some incredible things there with I'm Hole. So, w- with that in mind, everything we do has to have a purpose to sort of to to better humans' lives. You only get one life, right. so why why can't we right. create content that yeah. makes you think a little bit and might send you away wanting to make the world a little bit better? And that doesn't mean you have to be boring or worthy because we're certainly not. We're sort of quite punk and rock and roll and we make comedy and music shows and dramas and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's, I really believe you can do it through um, having a lot of fun but then also getting people to think. So then the studio model that we have is we have a, um, we have a team. Studio One is a, a TV originals studio which comprises of creative development actually the creative development team sits across the whole business but um in that in that studio we make comedy we make drama and we make sort of i suppose factual fact end and that's anything from a short form original with a broadcaster up to you know like a a feature length or a a drama series and we always sort of say that spirit we make anything from 15 seconds to a feature as long as we're always sticking true to our values which i've just talked about and also understanding the audience and the platform where the content's going to be which i think is an advantage we have because we've been in the digital world for so long now then you're okay to make it you know i don't think we need to be we don't need to be genre defined um in fact we've put on concerts big big pop concerts and we've we've put on um tours live tours with our podcasts and stuff so i don't think um necessarily you know I think we could put on a theatre play. It's like, it's you know, what we do doesn't really matter. It's why we do it that counts. Mm. Um, so the studios, yeah, so in, in that studio, and in that studio we've got shows like, um, in the last couple of years, we've had Comedy Against Living Miserably for UK TV, Dave. So Comedy Against Living Miserably is a show that was a comedy fundraiser for the campaign against Living Miserably, the suicide charity, mm. but it was using stand-up comedy and comedians in a documentary-style chat show talking about their mental health and about some of the struggles they've had as a way of delivering big sort of funny laughs, but at the same time real meaningful, valuable content. Bamus, which was our BBC One show, which was about tackling the absurdity of racism. We had The Whole Truth, which was our show for Channel 4, which looked at mental health through the lens of music and the black community, which starred Koji Radical and Shay Lingo and um, Harlow Parks. And then one of our, one, our biggest show, uh, which is our returner, is a show we make for ITV called The Stand-Up Sketch Show. I'm not sure how much purpose is in The Stand-Up Sketch Show. <laughs> Although I would say that what it does do is it does talk about modern topics for young people a lot through the comedy. Yeah, yeah. And also what's, what's so brilliant about it is that it's it's such a talent vehicle for that channel it's you know every year there's about 30 comedians that appear across the series and it's a great way of the 
the channel being able to get new faces onto TV and, and giving them a shot. And that's something that we're super, super proud of. So that's our sort of originals studio. Then we, we, we have a branded content studio. So we make branded content. It's not something we actually chase. It's all, it tends to be incoming. We've got a couple of partners that we make branded content for, including Channel 4. So we, 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 we do make branded content. And I think the reason why we do that is because actually it's quite good margin on the budget side, but, but also, I think our digital skill set in, in creating social content allows us to make authentic, interesting um, content for brands that doesn't feel overtly sort of commercial or land grabby, which a lot, I think a lot of branded content can be, you know, I think yeah. we're, we're good at finding, we're good at hiding these things. <laughs> then we have something that is a really big part of the business, which is our podcast studio. And currently, I'm not sure how many, I think we've got sort of, I think we've got around about 14 podcasts in our network, um, scaling to 20 this year. Um, and we've just recently built a multicam studio with a lighting rig and a green screen and its own set for all of our pods. So all of our pods are now visual. And in fact, an old friend of ours, Chris Holly, is coming in to do a relight in a couple of weeks. Oh, nice, yeah, nice. So, good, um, good and then, so we're expanding that. And that does that 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 network is something that that studio is is really um, thriving. Um, it's a big, big growth area in, in media, but also for us. And we've got, we run a couple of, two or three of the, the biggest pods in the UK. So we have private parts, uh, Homo Sapiens, which looks at the world from a queer perspective. It's a podcast I absolutely love. We've had some incredible guests on there that lockdown gave us. We've had like Debbie Harry. Yeah. We've had Michael Stipe. I mean, like some people that you would never get ordinarily yeah, nice. um, because yeah, yeah. In, in real life. But being able to do those things, through uh, through zoom has, has really been brilliant so yeah so that, that 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 network is interesting because it's got a it's got a full team that's sort of an engine that's that's producing these things but but also we use our audience development skill set so we have this is a thing that we've we've brought in house right from the beginning was to have a team of people that really really understood digital algorithms social media and how to grow audiences um, it's what we call audience development. Right. And that team works across all of our digital projects. And in particular for the podcasts, it looks at how to optimize and iterate and improve each week's show. But it also looks after the building of the audiences around those properties. And we have a marketing department within that that does all the social content. And what's interesting is that's now starting to spin out some new stuff. So like Private Parts has its own Snapchat show now that monetizes and the team make that and the marketing the marketing department will look at how we get into all the press and into blogs and, and, and you know, looks at how we can utilize the content that we make and build the audience further. Um, so that's our pods. Then we have I Am Whole, which is our mental health studio that I told you about earlier on. And that's doing some, some, some great things. That's building out uh, content and audience at the moment. That's something that we've not been able to do before, but as of last October, we were very lucky when we managed to get Channel 4 to invest in us. Channel 4 are a stakeholder in Spirit Studios, and part of that investment is for us to be able to build these different studios out and to and to scale the business safely. So the, the podcast studio, we were able to afford to, to build a studio, to build a team, mm. create all that resource and that, and that strategy. Uh, the same with I Am Whole, we're just starting to turn it into a, a video content platform now. Uh, it's something that we've been doing for five years. We've been doing these incredible campaigns um, that have reached millions, billions of people and has had lots of success on the outside, but we've never really galvanized that and built it into the community that we believe it could be. And now that's the start of that. But we're doing, you know, we're off to a good start. We've got 60,000 on Instagram. It's, it's starting to grow. And hopefully this new video strategy with its own internal commissioning process will start to really scale that. Yeah, so that's kind of, that's how, that's the sort of the, uh, the sort of the model. We have these studios that have these different skill sets. It might sound very complicated, but it's actually quite simple. <laughs> Basically, you do these number of things and then across it, so verticals, they're all your verticals. Yeah. But then horizontally, you have this skill set that allows you to do it all. So the skill sets are creative development, the ideas bit for all of those things. It's production. So we have in-house head of production, production managers, production coordinators that can run the whole thing. And then the final bit is this audience development. So across all of those, even if we make a drama, we, our team will still be all over how the hell do we make this go big on digital so that we can get more work out of it. Yeah. Um, and I suppose that's the difference between us and a traditional indie. Well, that, that's the thing I wanted to ask about, because I think 
when training up and coming people or, or talking to up and coming people, whenever I talk about you need to understand algorithms, you need to understand audience development, they go, oh, that's for social, that's not for production. And I'm saying the world has changed. So I would imagine like having the ability to show a commissioner or a financer we build audiences. I mean, that's ultimately what people want, isn't it, is, is audiences? What I would say is that scheduled television is on its way out. It's still, it's still. I'd yeah. say it's got another 10, 15 years. It's still doing well. There's still shows that can, there's still juggernaut shows that can absolutely become appointment to view and and bring in big audiences. You know, like, we, we know that, like, big a big drama on a weekend will do well for one of the major broadcasters we know that a show like we know sports does well live obviously we know that saturday night entertainment anton deck are still going to bring it bring in fairly big numbers but on the whole scheduled television is rapidly dying and what that means is that we all watch tv through apps uh, and this is not new but sort of it's a, but it's a mindset set that you've got to get around. And if, and if you, so, so now there's this whole new bunch of new commissioners, the streamers from Disney Plus, even Paramount Plus is just about to launch here in the UK. Yeah. Peacock, Netflix, Amazon. And there will be more and more and more and more of them. ITV have just announced ITVX. There'll be more and more and more. And the world is more hungry than ever for content. So the opportunity is, and the prizes are big. But if you are a producer that traditionally can make a long-running factual or fact-end series that sits on a daytime or on a, on a traditional schedule for, you know, not very much money, then that's great. But eventually that, that work's going to die out and that's not going to be around. So how do you survive in that modern world? And we always, this was exactly the reason why we, we set up, was because we saw it coming. We just thought it might have, you know, it took, it took 10 years really for it to click in and now it's really starting to accelerate. Yeah. But you've got to be able to, produce the show but you've also got to be able to market it and the reason being is that scheduled tv in the old days was a, a channel to market so there, if there, when there was only three or four channels people had switched those on and that was all the choice you had so like basically you were competing against two or three others in that slot at that time you didn't really have to do much to market your own show because the channels would trail and trail and trail and billboards and radio and all that these days when there was so much choice and people aren't watching shows at the same time, you've got to create that water cooler moment in a different way. And social media and that, that sort of social digital marketing skill set is one way of doing it. The way we talk about it is that what we do is we don't we don't create shows, we don't create podcasts, we don't create whatever, we create brands. Yeah. We create grand, brands that we can scale, whether that's a drama brand or a you know, or a comedy brand or a podcast brand or a mental health brand, we build brands. And then off the top, you know, as we scale that, can that brand be a podcast? Can it also be a drama? Can it be, you know, I Am Whole, we've, we've had a TV show, we've had a podcast from it, we've got all this social content that goes out on digital. You know, we're looking at dramas for I Am Whole. There's, you know, we've done concerts for I Am Whole. There's, you know, how do you, how do you create a brand that people really adhere to and understand that it's relatable? And then how do you, how do you commercialize that and do lots of things with it? So, yeah, I think the skill set's really important that you can do all those things. But at the same time, you shouldn't also dispute the fact that if you've got that skill set as a producer, you can make a lot of money in digital. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah. like there's, we're a multi-million pound turnover business. Half of our revenues come through digital. And it's growing and growing and growing. And if you look at the fact that traditional television was where advertising revenue predominantly sat, it's now rapidly moving over. I mean, the, the, ad, the AdSense revenue in podcasts has shot through the roof. Moves to digital. You know, the pandemic has sped that up because we're all online a lot more. We're, we're communicating a lot more through through online on our, on our phones and we're yeah. all, you know. So actually, when when the brands and all the advertisers are spending more in that space, if you can create content that you can monetize for audiences that are there, then actually there's a real there's a real opportunity. And, you know, talking to friends, it's quite interesting because what we, tr what we try and do at Spirit more and more and more, and it's something that we're working at really hard at the moment, is to try and become more, I suppose, cross-pollinated in terms of our skill sets across the studios so that each of the studios can can help each other but also go oh what if that thing you're doing over there what if we did a podcast to, to go alongside that or if that thing you're doing over there could we take that podcast and turn it into drama or whatever 
but I, I've when I talk to the digit, when I talk to my friends that are in the big digital space, the Lad Bibles, the Brave Bisons, the uh, the Barcroft, or the Now Called Future, they are making millions and millions and millions of pounds through Snapchat and podcasts and all sorts of different digital ways of, of making money. I suppose when we set up Spirit, I was a television exec, but I spent the very first two, three years really becoming a, a social media expert and learning the ropes, using my producer skills to understand analytically how the whole thing worked. Because actually those if you can get it right, if you can have both those skill sets in your business, both can win from each other. Because actually, my social my social media content is is much better than a lot of people's because of the fact that I've got my television background. Yeah. Because I've got my producer, my creative background from that side. But then on the TV side, it really wins because of the fact that we went... For example, the Stand Up Sketch Show does about 50 million reach per, per series on social from all the content that we create for the for the talent to share, yeah. we've got this big network of talent that star in the show. We create their clips and their sketches, and we and we reformat it all for social media so that we we're constantly re-advertising the show. And we do that. We just do that as part of what we do in terms of our production process. Um, but you know what it what it what it has done for us has made the stand up sketch show ITVs second most after love island which i can i think you'll agree is an anomaly yeah. the stand up sketch show is the the most popular show with 16 to 24 year olds for for itv so you know those skill sets are complementary and also i'm sorry but like if you just don't buy that then what the hell are you doing i mean it's just it's obvious isn't it we're all living in it all the time well it, it it's it fascinates me that when i meet like traditional telly people they always kind of sneer their nose a bit at social yeah and then you, sometimes you, when you're in social sphere, there's an attitude sometimes of like, oh well, it's just DIY and low low fi, you know, like you some get this sort of slightly old YouTube mentality to just make the program and it's about the audience, and it's when you bring those things together, there's a real interesting thing, and I've I've always been fascinated about that by you that you brought those two things together, and it's it's something that I try and teach is like have have some skill sets that you get from broadcasting or or, or tell you some good good rules, but don't just follow the model, take the other model from here. Definitely, you know, like as a creative, I get really excited. I get just as excited. As make, I get to work on. I get to work on um, some big productions where I've got, where I'm working on with Ari cameras and a, light, a big lighting team and a set team and an art department mm-hmm. and all that stuff and Steadicam and jibs and track and dolly and all that stuff. Right, I get to work. I get to be on set doing those big projects where there's a decent budget, and that's really exciting. And that's probably one of the reasons why you get into the industry because you're like, oh my god, this is incredible. Bringing your creative to life at that scale is amazing. I get equally, and I'm not, I'm not lying when I say this, I get equally excited about shooting something on my own, on a GoPro, and rising to the challenge of making it as creatively good as the other thing, yeah. but making it right for an audience. Uh, I, had a, I had a meeting the other day where, with, some, with some people that were looking to create some, what they called lo-fi content, and I was like, well, what does that actually mean? You know, like, because actually, I understand that, this, you know, if I, if I was to make a 30-second piece of content to advertise me on social media, and I shot it on Ari Alexas with a full lighting team and a cast and blah, 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 then essentially I'm just making a movie and putting it on the net, right? And then that doesn't feel inherently social because that what that is, that's just me creating a trailer and putting something out. Where actually if I shoot something that... The, the art the art of, of capturing and, and making something go big on the internet is understanding that audience on that platform at that exact moment of time. Obviously, like a Will Smith slap at the Oscars, that clipped up, that shot on really nice cameras at the Oscars and everything. But yeah. but that is a moment in time when everyone's going to be sharing the hell out of that. But then what you do with that content afterwards to then make it inherently social is to you watch, you know, like you see a moment like that in time happen, then you watch how all of a sudden it becomes a meme and it become and it's and then it's vertical and people are clipping it in a different way yeah. and people are now deep faking it and doing all sorts of stuff with it so I, I just think that like when you, you've got to really understand 
why you're doing something and and actually you know like i said before there's billions of bits of content on the internet how do you make when when someone scrolls past your bit how do you grab their attention instantly and keep their attention that's the hardest bit you know and it's not easy to do that all of the time but you but you can there are things that you can learn and and data that you can require based on your last performance that will help teach you and and get, guide you towards what the audience likes and doesn't like. And at the end of the day, all you're doing is entertaining humans. If, you know, if you can if you can empathetically understand what what their needs are on those platforms, then you then you can create something that's really powerful and that will win. Having said that, there's a a bit I don't know if you've seen it, but Dove released a, a campaign film a couple of weeks ago about how toxic the internet can be. And then you realise just now how how much sort of, I suppose, unregulated content there is on the internet that our kids are growing up watching. And it's, um, yeah. you know, it's, it's dark. It, it, it's a tough one because when I'm talking to students, when we talk about this idea of like, how do you grab eyeballs and how do you get attention quickly, you can easily fall into the trap of just like anything goes. And it's then probably... And maybe this is something that either media education or, or or the industry needs to do is how do you take people into this content sphere but give them some sense of ethical guidelines, like really start to think about the content you make. So we're not churning out shit that's just selling stuff to our kids or whatever. It's like what you were saying about make stuff with purpose. Yeah, we're, do you know what? Interestingly, we're, we're making a documentary at the moment called Seriously Funny and seriously funny is a is a, a film that will be distributed across streamers around the world and it's the quite the big question of the film is does human does humor still have a place in in the modern world where where you know seemingly it's getting harder and harder to joke about things without being cancelled mm. so it's it's the the film is the journey of a comedian that goes on this journey to uh, look at the the, uh, the subject matter of cultural appropriation and see whether he as a white right. comedian can actually stand on stage and joke about cultural appropriation in a way that doesn't offend the communities and the history of, of everything that's gone before and actually sort of in a positive way put a spin on it that still makes it really funny but doesn't feel like he has to go to the lengths yeah. of say like the Jimmy Carr yes. situation which are you know which funny enough our comedian Adam Rose always says that you know like he's good friends with Jimmy and he says you know should Jimmy be able to joke about that yes he should he's a comedian that's his job we live in a world of free speech was it a good joke no it wasn't it was a racist joke so it's kind of you know so he wouldn't have done it i suppose the reason why i mentioned that project is because i think we're sort of we're slightly obsessed with i think we now live in a world where the audience will cancel you so actually as much as like unless you're now an out and out troll you know what i mean but as a yeah. but as a but as a as a as a independent production company you can't be so you have to have you have to hold yourself to account really to make sure that everything you do is sense checked you know and that's what exec producers are there for and production managers that's what they're there for is to is to have that sort of by the time you get to that level you're 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 fully trained in in legal compliance all those things and and we we put that process across everything we do just to make sure that there's nothing leaves the business that could ever take us down and actually you know being a business that talks about creating content you know with hidden purpose and trying to do some good in the world actually makes it harder for us as a business because it means we we ultimately have to be better than everybody else yeah because we we if we're if we're the ones saying that the world should be a better place We've got to hold ourselves to account on that. We can't just go around doing whatever. But you're right. I think, I think regulation has to come into play soon. It is an absolute world. We're still. Well, I, I think it. What you've got with the big, kind of let's say, social companies is they've hit the size now of the thing that they disrupted, and the thing that they disrupted had broadcasting standards, had editorial standards, and the reason they could grow was because they didn't have to adhere to that. Yeah. But now they're the same size as what they disrupted, so they're going to have to solidify just because of the size of them. And and I think that's going to be difficult because how do you turn a social platform into a publishing platform in terms of regulation? Because the only reason they can exist is without that regulation almost because they don't want to be seen as a publisher because then they're liable right well in, i mean interest yeah i mean like we've, we have ofcom don't we for our, yeah. for our tv in fact ofcom now 
you would you wouldn't you you might not believe this, but but the streamers Netflix and Disney in this in in the UK don't aren't guided by anything at the moment. But I just you know recently they talked about it and about the fact that Ofcom are going to yeah. uh, set uh, you know the rules for them as well. Because I I was trying to find some editorial standards that Netflix puts down for documentary recently and cannot find anything. So I'm assuming they don't have it. I mean, they must have some kind of internal standards. They're self-governed. I mean, I suppose yeah. they will have lawyers that will stop them getting sued. And that's, you know, that's the bit, yeah. at that scale, that's the bit that stops. That's the bit that does self-govern because actually you can't just put anything out. But yeah, I, I, the, I, the problem with the internet and the streamers, both those things, that is very different to what we're used to knowing, is that the internet and stream? Well, the in- streamers are the internet. They're on the internet, aren't they? They, they that's how they serve. Yeah. The internet is global, and that's the difference, isn't it? It's like how do you regulate? But what needs to happen now is that each country needs to regulate its own. So you know, versioning will happen around the world, and that's only the same in the way that if we distribute a TV show, we have to reversion it for different territories. Yeah, it's it's how it, it's the only way to safeguard. Because then you look because because you look at somewhere like Russia now that has managed to shut down all of its own TV networks apart from the one, the state-owned one, and then just pump its propaganda through that. You, you run the risk without having that real regulation. You run the risk, don't you? Yeah, yeah, no, no, definitely. And and I suppose flipping sort of sideways slightly, obviously a lot, a lot of your work is reaching out to commissioners and reaching out to people to, to get your ideas financed. And I think this is an area that everybody wants to kind of know about. Like, what's what's that like and what's the process? Because I think a lot of people see, like, getting ideas made is some kind of magic thing. I would, I was having this conversation with somebody on Friday mm. because the way to describe it is that imagine a very, very steep hill and I'm halfway up it pushing the biggest boulder you've ever seen. And I'm never going to get to the top. <laughs> That's what it's like. You just have to be resilient. You have to have energy, belief. You have to be innovative in your approach to finding money, getting commissions, getting finance. We are tackling a spirit. I think we're really entrepreneurial in terms of content. The traditional indie will set up and then they will fund the development department coming up with TV show ideas. And if that department does not win a commission, um, by the time the money runs out, the business is over. Yeah. End of. That's it. What, what, what we do is go, right, how can we make money everywhere? Um, and my job, right, you know, I, do, I, am, I lead the sales in the business. My job is to to get into all of the channels, to meet the relevant commissioners, the, the, the buyers, the ones, the decision makers, to build relationships. It's really important. And then, and that's, and I would say it's taken, you know, we're 10 years old now. It takes years to build your, your brand and to be famous within the sector so that people, oh yeah, God, yeah, great. I'd love, you know, I love spirit. I'd love to chat to you or, you know, or whatever, or I've not heard of you guys before, but you've done some great things and I do know your shows. Once you get to that stage, it's a lot, lot easier to open the doors. But what I'm finding more and more these days is that I'm trying to be more laser focused in terms of what we develop. And having that USP really yeah. does make it easier for us because people buy shows. People, commissioners come to, to us now because they go, oh, you guys are the ones that will do that. And also when you go to them, it makes total sense that you, why, you, why you're pitching that show. But we, we make money through all sorts of different ways. So... Like I said, we, we self-publish our own content, our own brands, and we make money through brands, sponsoring it through brands, through adverts being inserted into it, through touring it, books, TV shows, whatever. We yeah, make yeah. money through straightforward commissions, going to a broadcaster, selling in an idea, working like development pipeline. I mean, the thing is, I've got a five-man development team now that is literally developing and churning out ideas constantly yeah. but also trying it's a balancing act because i don't if i don't want to be just the guy that's scattergunning commissioners and they go oh my god you never just let up and none of your ideas are really fully formed you've got to make sure that when you hit a commissioner you really understand them what they've done before and absolutely you're going to land something that's going to make them go oh my god this is brilliant i really i really i could get behind this this for me yeah. is a show that i would really really want to make so there's the straightforward commissions really hard really 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 hard but it's just about 
getting your, I'd say it's about getting your, your game plan together, your engine going and about optimizing and just, just, you know, you, you, after a while, you know, you've got to know what your system is and your system has to be about keeping up with them. But you know, I'll only see the same commissioner. You might only see like four times a year, but every three months, you got to make sure that every time you see them, you're dropping in something gold that might suddenly spark something that will then move into de- into a proper development with them. Having said that, there's been moments where I've literally I've had I've had two or three shows where, boom, drop the thing in and it's like bang, and then it's gone straight to pilot. And you've been, been very lucky. Sometimes it's about luck and timing. In fact, most of it's about that. Right. Then there's the financing. So we've we've started moving into uh, film funds now, which is. A great way of if you can find the right finances, then that's a great way of having real editorial control over what you do. Yeah. And then there's also a new model that we're just starting to look at, and we've been running meetings with is the world of fast TV and AVOD. So we're now looking at doing we're we're, we're talking to a, there's a company that we're working with that is um, a broadcaster distributor that are pre-funding documentary series. Um, so we're just in development at the moment on on a number of documentary series that are pre-funded at a low level, but 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 you get a higher kickback on the return. Right. Yeah. So you know, as you can see, there's lots and lots of different ways of making money, and yeah. I think once you once you have that sort of ability, the, the, one of the things about um, having the digital side of the business is that we have in-house capability, we have in-house kit operators, yeah. editors, all that stuff. So when it comes to doing a project that is low-funded documentary series, we can do it because everyone's on, everyone's on staff. Yeah. Where if you're a traditional indie, you can't do that because yeah. you'd have to be paying them a freelance day rate because you don't have any staff. And you only, you only assign those people when you have a production. And because you've got like in-house product that's always, it's essentially a, a revenue pipeline, you're not just having the commission or funding cash coming in, you are still having a regular cash flow. Most most of the money that we make is whilst we sleep. Yeah. Revenues yeah. are coming in from all the content we've made over the years. You know, the Lion Whisperer is one of our, the Lion Whisperer TV has got something like, I think, six million subs across the plat- across the portfolio of platforms, does millions and millions of views, and it's been going seven years. Videos that we made seven years ago are still making us money. So it's kind of like... Um, yeah. Once you've got that as your basis, and that, and you can survive off your overheads off off that, then actually, for us, the TV originals is a complete. It's the, that's the cherry on the top. Yeah. And as you know, we only went back into TV five years ago. Uh, the first five years we were mostly digital, and then we went decided to go back into producing long form again about five years ago. But what's great now is that you're right. Going back to something you said earlier on. In five years ago, commissioners would be like, oh, you guys, the digital guys. And I'm like, well, we are, but also I was an exec producer and a director at Endemol for a long time. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you can't... Yeah. Now they kind of go, oh, you guys are the exciting guys. You guys are the ones we want to be working with because you know how to do X, Y, and Z. And you also, you can create programming on a budget when I've got no money that will look incredible and do us yeah. bigger numbers because you understand the audience and... Well, the, the become you you can take a few more risks as well, probably. Definitely, like I now I I, I fund a lot of tasters. Well, I never used yeah. to do that. We produce we produce a lot of mini pilots and tape stuff that when we really really believe in it, stuff that we think will really help sell that final idea to bring it to life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's look, it's a complicated job, but you know, in terms of selling to to getting something made, the, the truth is, I would say you've got to. You've got to run fast. And the, my biggest bit of advice to anybody that has got an idea and that wants to get commissioned is if it, if it doesn't go within the first few months, just drop it and move on. So many people that I know yeah. come to me with ideas and they've been, they've been trying to get it away for years. And obviously there are successes that, like, you know, that have taken... I think, I can't remember who it was, I think Stephen Lambert said something about, like, it was something like 10 years before that show got, one of his shows got sold. That's, I think that's what, I think, I don't think there's anything wrong in having stuff in your locker, but you've just got to keep moving forwards and don't get hung up on your one idea that you can't let go of is not the idea, trust me. It's... Pick, pick, pick the hill, yeah, don't, don't, don't pick a hill to die on. No, exactly. Run around a lot, yeah. Exactly. And, and when it comes to, finding new talent like how do you as a 
vibrant born digital studio how do you how do you find the kind of people that work for you good question actually quite been quite tricky over the years yeah bit of both really now obviously the world of social content is becoming a teenager yeah so there's lots of there's lots of people and also there's like lots of big platforms on there you only have to look at like lad bible or like vox or, or vice you know joe media or any of those guys there's there's been there's been a lot of people that have been trained no, and also I think there was a, and also it's become, you know, it's it's, a, it's taught at universities, has been for quite some time. I think also as well that that generation are quite native. Yeah. Um, the bit, the bit, the bit that that generation lacks is the production skill set that we would have been brought up with, which is a slightly sort of bit, you know, production values, I suppose, is the, probably the way of saying it. But then that's easily talked. And then and then the older people in the business, which is a bit of a weird thing to say now, but that's sort of our age, you, yeah. you know, you, you, you can bring in um, a TV exec and then after a while, by osmosis, I think. It does take a while, though. It takes a couple of years. But by osmosis, bit by bit, if you, you know, after all the meetings and the and the sort of, seeing how our internal uh, communication system slack the the teams share the updates and the wins and the and the, the stats and the data and all that stuff so like you know a tv exec in the business can look at a, a data report on a podcast and kind of go wow that's interesting why and then ask questions about it and also one of the things that we're starting to put into place now um, as we scale, is like monthly away days with like the heads of those departments. So actually, by osmosis, I mean in, the, in those yeah. things, everyone can talk. But yeah, you're right. It's not like it's not a natural skill set. And to be honest, with you the skill set that I created for myself was really like snookering in a sense, because it all sounds very exciting that like you know that we've got this ability to make money in all different ways, and we and also that we're not tied down to making one type of content and it, it can be as exciting from a 15 seconds to a feature film i get that it all sounds it must sound you know like, wow that's amazing but actually it's very complicated isn't it because like to run that as a business is very complicated because just being a film being a company that makes films where everyone knows how to make films is a lot yeah. lot easier than running a set of studios even in a microcosm of like just what i'm doing at the moment of running from a studio show to a short drama to a to a five minute vt pack kind of uh, show the the gears in your head going across different genres and stuff can be quite tough but also by doing that see like when we when we started out in the industry i mean like it's mad to think that we, you and i have known each other for like for 25 years now 20 25 years well, when we first started you were only allowed to work in one genre like if your cv if yeah. you if your cv said that you did drama for a start it might even question what type of drama you do. You know, like, but like, yeah. you couldn't work on a sports program if you've got drama on your CV. Because everyone would be like, well, you've got no experience in sports. And I understand that. And I think when you get to a certain level of anything, that absolute expertise is a real thing. But also, what I think, the, I think the internet has provided, which is a brilliant thing, is it sort of split all that up. So like, when I said that we can tackle any drama, any, sorry, any genre, uh, um, as long as we're sort of fulfilling our message and our values, that's way more exciting. So you running from doing a drama to a short form to a VT, when you're when you move from one thing to another, you've got that thought process of all those other things. And actually, that's if if you're you know I, I don't think that I'm a program maker. I think that I'm a creative, and yeah. in order to be the best creative I can be, I need I need inspiring, and I need to be able to think about how I disrupt and change things and do something that's new. And actually, so by taking by having all these different things that we make, I can borrow skill sets from each of them and put them into each other. And that will give you something. It's, it's a bit like being multi multilingual. For each language you add, it opens up a part of your brain and it you help discover new things that you wouldn't if you were just thinking in one language. Exactly that. And I suppose uh, also opens up your opportunities in different territories and different, you know. So obviously... You're you're incredibly busy, and you're always having to come up with ideas. Like, how do you, how do you have a creative process, or how do you approach creativity? Like, when you have to come up with an idea, or when you're mulling on an idea, do you like get out of the office? Do you have things that you do that help you? Well, I think um, I think ha having a 
creative brain that can think in terms of formats, ideas, story arcs, anything, any of these sort of things that we've been talking about. It's like training a muscle, and the more you and the more you do it, yeah. the better it gets. And so, by osmosis, now naturally, I, everything I see and do, I sparks something because my brain is open to that. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of the, the yeah. pathways are. Yeah. I'm always receiving. I'm always receiving the inspiration and then kind of going, what is it that I could do with that? In terms of process and how you get that into the thing, yeah, we, we do a development away day once a month as a team where we go through, we spend half a day going through our process and our system and seeing whether there's anything we can do to improve that in terms of our ratio of development to sales. Is there anything we can do to tweak the, to tweak the system to improve how we're getting like, the best ideas down on uh, and getting them out and getting them converted. And then we spend half a day talking about things that the new routes of things that we want to do. Now there's two, there's two ways of doing development. There's every channel and most, you know, brands, channels, most of the world will have a brief. Yeah. So all the channels have briefs. You can find them on the internet. Once you're a fully fledged producer in the, in that world, you, we get invited to, We'll, we'll, they they put on days for you and you go and you all the commissioners talk and they give you a brief. This part of me lets the team follow those briefs because it's a good way to inspire ideas. But at the same time, I always think that actually it's a bit like watching a Sunday league football team because as soon as a brief comes out, everyone someone kicks the ball and then everyone chases it that way. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. obviously you've got to be in it to win it. But at the same time, I will say to my team, what what happens if we run the other way? Where there's where to the channels that haven't put a brief out at the moment, whilst everyone's focusing over there. Yeah. So like so like so then so then what we what we try and do is remind ourselves of our values and our USP constantly, and what the things that we really think that we would be super super excited to make if only we could make it, and how big could we make it? So we work on special developments where we sort of try and build out those big big ideas. And that might be in scripted, it might be unscripted, it might be whatever. But it's kind of how do we do that? And then once we really believe in that, we will spend some time on that development. And I'm not talking weeks, I'm talking months, where we yeah. where we where we'll do some yeah. proper, you know, you'll you'll spend money on doing it. And that I suppose that's when you're sort of starting to talk about more like a Netflix development or whatever. Because if you win that, the prize yeah. is really big. So if you can if you can package a show that feels like, oh my god, yeah, that's so undeniable, then it doesn't need to be on brief for a channel because Every channel wants a juggernaut. Yeah. And then in terms of like how we, the process we go, we have a, it's really simple. We have a WhatsApp group that never stops. <laughs> and it's like, and it's like, you know, <laughs> social media is a great, there's, there's stuff all the time, you know, in, on a daily basis, someone will be dropping in a, a link from the news or, or an Instagram video they've seen or a TikTok reel or a photograph of something they've just walked past or, or, you know, or, or just a simple, what if? And I'm really lucky that I've got a group of people that are really like forthcoming with ideas all the time. I mean, there must be, I don't know, I don't know how many ideas a day get generated into the group, but it's literally there for us all to brain dump as soon as it happens. Yeah. And then that way, if something really sparks, then it'll, then it'll come to life. The other way we do is we do development games, but I'm sure most people are used to doing that. You know, how do you, um, one of the fun ones is um, take two traditional, take two shows that are on TV and smash them together. Yeah. Should we play, should we play it now? Go on then, go on then, yeah. Um, all right, I'll give you two shows. So your two shows are MasterChef and Gogglebox. Right, so... Let's say if you took... Well, let's both do it. Okay, you, you, you go first. You might have to edit this bit out, what we just think for a second. Um, I'll cut it so it's really tight and we came up with ideas really quick. <laughs> uh, um, okay, my show is called Your Content Doesn't Cut It. Right. It's a show where a bunch of um, world-leading chefs sit in pods together um, watching all of the um of all of the instagram videos where people have made cooking shows um that are absolutely rubbish and it's called your content doesn't cut it and it's basically it's them it's them doing a goggle box rinse rinse of all the of the world's worst uh, food shows on instagram i was going with maybe something similar but it was like along the lines of rate my plate and it would be people who only predominantly live on takeout food and don't ever cook suddenly have to cook meals 
uh, in a in a Instagram kind of taster cooking show way, and then uh, and then a goggle box type audience look at it and kind of comment on how how that look like. It's more about the oh that looks like shit or that looks like whatever a uh, uh, messed up plate or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Good. Or maybe comedians. Maybe comedians could do that. Comedians, see, but it, it, see, you can see how that's the beginning of like it's quite. It's like you know that's quite a fun process, especially on a Friday afternoon, like at three o'clock when you can go and have a beer, and you and you're all sitting around, and you start everyone starts throwing two shows together. You can sometimes out of it, you go like, oh my god, that's actually really good. Well, well, that's the thing. I think particularly when I talk to people starting out, they really uh, pain themselves over coming up with ideas and then they they do that thing of oh that's not good enough and i think trying to explain to them you have to constantly curate you constantly have to throw stuff around and you you kind of need a scrapbook of stuff yeah you do i mean i i'm i scrapbook so much i i make playlists yeah, yeah. of music that inspire like I just need that stimulus, and I think people don't think about that. I Shazam any music that I think would be brilliant for my show, and then it automatically drops into my Spotify as a Shazam playlist. And then whenever I'm looking for music for a show, nice, I can then just go through the playlist and listen because I know oh, that would be really good in my show. Yeah, yeah. It's a, yeah. it's about processes. I tell you one bit of advice I would say to anyone that's like starting out is that when I first started, no one really explained to me how a format worked. And, and it's sort of like there's sort of like this kind of and yet it's really really easy. People talk about the beats of a format, and I'd hear these words over the first few years of my career. You know what are the beats of the format, and I'd be thinking, what the hell are they talking about? You know. Yeah. And actually, when you break what so what is a really good process to go through is to find a TV show that you like, and then to just write down what you think in order that when we're talking about beats of a format, we're talking about what are the different things that happen in that format that, that every week are exactly the same. So it's like, for example, DIY SOS is, first thing, we're going to meet a family that's having a lot of trouble in their lives. It might be illness, it might be disability, whatever. And they live in a place that isn't suitable for them. So first of all, sub-story, backstory. The second beat is... We're going to work on a plan to completely revolutionise this house and work out how all the things we do in the design process will benefit all the things we've just talked about. Then the next part of the beat, the next beat of the format is we are going to now, throughout the middle of the show, we're going to have some fun doing some builds, seeing everyone working. But at the same time, we're going to pepper it with something that happens every single week. Nick Knowles will go off because they're going to do something special or make one piece of thing or a furniture or whatever that's going to sit in that house. Yeah. And what he does is he allows you, he allows us to, because no, because actually watching the building is pretty boring. We don't want to see that. Yeah. We want to see the transformation. So we need something to distract the audience each week. So Nick is going to go and meet someone that is going to give us some educational takeout. We're going to go off and we're going to go and spend five minutes with someone else where they make something special that he can come back and feel like he's put his mark on the house. Then we're gonna. Then we're gonna go into the next beat, which is the panic, the the jeopardy, the race to finish because everyone's the time's running out. The time's running out. They're gonna be coming back. We've got to get everything done. And then three, two, one, poof, the reveal. They're back. Where have you been? Now we're gonna show you. Open your eyes. The tears. The thanks. The out. And if you think about, if you can actually look at a TV show in the way that I've just outlaid those beats, and you can sort of work out that every week that thing. Keep, does the same thing every week so that as an audience we're, we're guided we know what to expect we know yeah, that yeah. And, and also that structure is there to keep us to the end the fact that we don't see the reveal at, until the very end and we know that it's going to be an emotional thing it's a feel-good human thing to see that so actually the fact that we've been kept in this whole time and retained is a really big important part of a format so once you understand how a format works in that respect which is essentially sort of a you know, three-act structure or a story arc or a kind of like, you know, it's no different to drama. Yeah, yeah. You know, then you can start looking at how you might do a show. So you might, what a really good practice to do is to go, I want to make a show about cars. What happens if I take the format of DOA SOS, which I know is a really popular format, and there's so many shows that follow that format, so many on yes, TV. Yeah, yeah. How, what, what's my car show that does the same thing? 
what's my car show that meets a family at the beginning that hasn't got a car or needs a car or their car's broken and needs it for whatever you know you know what's the car repair shop version of the DOS the cars SOS you know and then at the end the reveal you know it's when uh, I think just just going for using those simple strategies to get yourself going before you know it that muscle that I talked about at the beginning that muscle is just primed and ready to go and everything you look at is sparked off no 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 definitely and that, that that's a really good point because I think it is something that new, people new to it really struggle with mm. it, it, and maybe we don't spend enough time deconstructing what we watch to to work that out sometimes we, we always start from scratch and we don't look enough at the stuff that we watch regularly and going how is that working I'm absolutely my wife goes mental at me because all I do is deconstruct television films throughout. and you've always done that you were doing that when I first met you you were <laughs> you would geek out on like how how does that work let me take that apart I think, do you know why I think that is? I think because, because I was an actor as a kid in television yeah. shows, and that's how I came to it. I was, right from a little kid, I was like, couldn't, from the age of 10, I was like going, oh my, I was like seeing the secrets behind it. Do you know what I mean? It was like, yeah, yeah. It was, I was, I, I'd been given, I'd been gifted access to the magic that no one else ever gets to see or thinks about. So right from an early age, yeah. I'd be like, how did they do that? Why did they do that? How did, my, very first sh- my very first job was on a, on a blue screen. And they couldn't key my arm properly. I had one blue arm and I had a multicolored top on. They couldn't key. So then I was like, that's called chroma key. Wow. So then every time I saw a program, I'm like, that key's not very good. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. so like, I think, I think maybe it's, I don't know whether that's just what it is, but or whether it's like also, I'm sort of like hypercritical of myself and everything I do. It's like, I just want to, I absolutely love what I do for a living. And it's not really a job, it's a hobby. And, just want to be as I just want to get better and better and better, and I don't think I'm anywhere near as good as I could be. And it's the the half the fight is convincing others to give you some money to actually try and prove it and to do it. Do you know what I mean? If I had all the money in the world, if I had all the money in the world, I don't I could I could probably have made a Harry Potter movie by now, but I wouldn't have a clue how to make one currently because I've never got there. That you know what I mean? So it's, yeah, 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 yeah. My fight is like constantly pushing, going back to the beginning. This is like a. Um, this is like a good callback on a comedy set. But my, I said at the beginning, I'm halfway up that hill with a massive boulder, mate, still pushing it to the top. Nice. Well, that, that seems to be a great place to wrap up because we've done the hour. I know that was, I, I know uh, it, it goes by fast. I suppose if I was going to ask you one last question before we go, it, and it's a two parter. One, like, if you were talking to yourself back when we were at Ravensbourne, what advice would you give to, like, as you go out? And secondly, because mental health is such an important issue to you, what do you have to say about the industry we work in and how it looks after mental health? The first question, what I would say to myself, and I think this is the most important thing, is trust your gut, trust your own instinct. Because I didn't follow the traditional route up the ladder and, and at times I questioned so many times whether what I was doing was the right thing and that I wasn't and that I should get myself back onto the ladder but actually in the end I'm so glad if I could go back now to those times when I was worried about those things I'd go don't worry about it you just stick to what you're doing and just keep driving forwards because at the end of the day it's about belief and belief in yourself and so, like, when you have that gut feel about whether something is right or wrong for you, always listen, because otherwise you will make the wrong choices. And I'm so glad that I was offered a nine grand a year runner job. So glad I turned it down, because yeah. it didn't feel right. And I just thought, I don't want to be on that same rat race as everybody else. I want to go a different route, and I want to learn different skill sets, and I want to be innovative and groundbreaking. And if I go and do that, I'm just going to be the same as everyone else. So that's my first, that's my first question, is trust your gut. In terms of the mental, in, very interesting question. I, I started to see some change. One of the things that we're looking to work really hard at, on at Spirit is making sure that our pastoral care and the the world that, that we create for our team matches our outward values. Of Iron Hole, yeah. I, you know, I can see that there are. There's a lot of people being called out. I think 
We're going through a bit of a sort of a cancel everything moment in time, which is, I don't know if that's healthy. The word toxic gets bounded around a lot. Yeah. And I'm not sure how healthy that is. I, I think one of the big things that's having to change is that the industry, there's not enough money really to make content safely for your mental health. Mm. And what I mean by that is people have to work longer hours than they're getting paid for. They, there's the stresses, the teams aren't big enough. Um, the experience isn't there. And all those things create stresses, which create the things that can be bad for mental health. It could be anxiety, it could yeah. be bullying, it could be uh, toxic behaviour, all that stuff. But it's on the agenda, isn't it? Which is a good thing. So, you know, yeah. I think we're at the beginning of it. Well, one of the things that we know in the business is that what we, what we, what we, um, and my head of production is really adamant about this and, and I really respect it, is that making sure that people get their lunch hour and finish at six when they're not yeah. on a production day. Yeah. If you're in pre-production, why the hell do you have to work till midnight to prove yourself? You know, yeah. she's really good at making sure that everybody respects each other's own time and their own mental health. And and then because she knows that when we're on production day, sometimes it's going to be a big old long day and there's nothing we can do about that. So it's about how do you counterbalance those things in the meantime with what we've got. And then the other thing I would... I would say is that I, the, 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 on the, the only negative thing I would say is that because mental health has become big on the agenda or is becoming more prevalent, there is a tendency for people to use mental health as an excuse a hell of a lot more for not yeah, coming yeah. to work right, or for yeah. needing a bit of time off or to do X, Y, and Z. And that's fine. I think if it's, if it's absolutely needed, then we should absolutely, you know, we've, we've talked about this for a long time, that your mental health is an important issue. Your physical health but you just it's it's harder to see the woods through the trees in terms of if anyone's it's becoming such a sort of an it's a very easy thing because because businesses can't challenge it so it becomes a catch-all statement well yeah and also the, well my worry is not that like it's not you know it, i think after any time you'll start to see patterns about whether anyone really has any yeah. issues or whether they're blagging it and from a business perspective you have to keep an eye on that because obviously you're paying people and, and and so on and also you want to look after your team but at the same time in society in general if that increases and becomes just such an easy win we're all happy and sad and yeah. we've all got to be resilient and that's being a human but if we turn that into oh when i'm feeling a bit down oh i'm having a poor mental health day i need some time off then that then that's not real life, and my my worry on a on a on a bigger scale is that that type of behaviour could screw things up for the people that really have got big mental health issues, yeah. because you're taking up, you, you you're messing with with money with with setting precedent, you're messing with the NHS. It, it's like if everybody's suddenly turning up to the doctors because of their mental health and they've not really understood. The um the brief, properly. Yeah. Then because it because of the way that because it's become a trend, then actually what you're doing is you're 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 taking up resources and time and all sorts of stuff and then therapy time lead times will become even longer. And one of the biggest mm. problems we have in this mm. country in the world is that therapy is either expensive if you go private or takes forever if you can't afford it and you go through the NHS and then quite often you need it now not in six months time. Yeah, I mean, I I certainly think like just obviously working with students, I hear it a lot, and I suppose my point is always to try and explore what do we mean by that? Like, like are you are you feeling down? And trying to get people to understand their own emotions a bit more, because if you stay up all night and live on a bad diet and only drink beer <laughs> during the week, you are going to like feel this way and and sometimes having anxiety is a natural response to a vulnerable act that learning is and and i don't think we do enough being able to have good meaningful conversations about mental health about the the length rather than just saying okay lots of people have mental health issues give them a pass and it's not about giving them a pass or, or denying them a pass. It's just how do we have a better conversation about how our emotions are or, or how we feel and how our health is. And I feel like that's not happening. Yeah, I think there's a, I think there's a, a, a massive lack of empathy in the world. Yes, and that's a huge part of the problem. Everyone's just so obsessed themselves. You know, we could put our hands up 
and you, it's, it's difficult to yeah. bring yourself, it's difficult to wake up from all the noise and kind of go, actually, have I checked in with that person? Have I understood them? Have I really listened to what they're saying? Or have I listened to, I think, you know, being a leader in whatever you do is the, um, the hardest bit is to do that. And yet it's the most important bit. And if you can do that right, you can be a really good leader. You can listen to what they say, but also listen to how they say it. They might not always say it outwardly, but like if you can spot the things, some, honestly, right, it's something that I'm working extremely hard on at the moment. I'm going through a big change of business, not had to, not had to lead in that way up until now. And now, now I realise the more and more I explore this, this world of like how to understand humans and their needs, the more it helps you, you know, yeah, in yeah. terms of, in terms of keeping a happy ship. So I think it goes the same, your staff, it's about trying to be empathetic, listening, really listening and asking, sometimes asking the difficult questions. Yeah, no, I think in, in, in my previous job, I was very lucky to be sent on this amazing program at Oxford. It's like a six weeks program on about uh, high performing leadership. And it taught you all about the psychology of people and, and why people do it revolutionized the way I, and I think it informs my teaching uh, a lot because it, it debunked a lot of myths about what you have to be as a leader. Like you don't have to be this running around shouty person or, or always in control of stuff. And it, but that's often what we're told as we kind of grow up. And uh, it, it, I don't think there's a, there's enough leadership or empathy or emotional intelligence within education just as a grassroots mm. thing. Agreed. Totally agree. Mate, it's been so much fun to catch up with you and I've been re really nice to see you and I'm already thinking about how can I get you over here again. <laughs> mate, I'd love to. That'd be good for my mental health. Yes, yes, definitely. Thank you so much for your time, Matt. Thanks, mate. And next time I'm in London, we'll do a beer. Thanks, cool. Thank you. Bet on myself and I proved it. I know the industry ruthless. I'm really a threat for nuisance. The Chevy is dropping is ruthless. Think I'm the one and I proved it. I know the industry foolish. Thanks for seeing the movies. It really ain't dropping out of cooling. Look at me.